Do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. Knowledge ideas, perspectives, and research insights on topics that matter. Business advice for better decisions and growth. Latest on the world of innovation and ideas. A look inside a global world beyond borders and an open view on social challenges. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.isade.edu. Hi, everybody. This is Isade's Do Better. And this is the first of a series of episodes about the future of learning and education. My name is Ivan Bofarul, Chief Innovation Officer at Isade. I love what I do here, scouting who is reshaping education, exploring future scenarios, and trying to find signal in a context which is full of noise. Today, it's a pleasure to welcome a transformative leader and a friend, founder and CEO of the Minerva Project, the academic institution reinventing higher education from scratch. Its mission is to nurture the world with critical wisdom. Ben Nelson, welcome to Esades Do Better. So let's go to uh, the experience of starting a Minerva, developing Minerva, and making Minerva one of the influential academic institutions for the future. What do you think that the world is going to miss if Minerva doesn't survive in 10 years from now? I think it'll miss two things. One is specific, which is that I believe that universities should have a point of view. Um, universities shouldn't just be a conglomeration of information. Because guess what? Then you only need one university. right? Because if all you need to do is present facts and data... Well, why do you need universities? You could you have the internet. You just need right? Google. Right? Exactly. You know, Google's organizing the world's information. They're doing a fairly decent job at it. Maybe you have, uh, uh, you know, some other institution that puts together the rest of the information and you're done. Well, clearly that's not what education is about. Education isn't about just the dissemination of information. It is about a system of thought. And Minerva has a perspective on what that system is. And so, and we believe that that our system uh, that, that, we've, that we've developed is crucial to, for the products of that system, the students, the graduates, that will then use, to, use it to solve deep, deep problems in the world. And so I think the first thing the world will miss is practitioners of this set of systems of thinking, and it really is a set of different systems, that we provide our students that they can put to use. But I think the second thing the world would miss, which is even more important, is the dissemination of that philosophy. Because in reality, even though universities don't just disseminate the same information, they also have no coherent perspective, by and large, in general, what happens in the classroom is the purview of whatever a professor decides to do, right? And so there's no institutional driving force behind what an institution is, is all about. And, and bizarrely enough, that's a recent phenomenon. 
it's not, it's not actually more than the classical tradition of the university. We are here in a Jesuit university. There are concepts of a Jesuit perspective. It doesn't mean that what happens in a classroom is dictated by any stretch of the imagination, but there's an overarching curricular philosophy right, that should distinguish a Jesuit school from a non-Jesuit school. There's something about that perspective and shouldn't distinguish one Jesuit university and their faculty from a different Jesuit university and their faculty. There should be some essence around that. And I think that there is no better example of how to put that philosophy at work, how to create an overarching framework while enabling professors to bring their own voice and perspective into every individual classroom to encourage and preserve academic freedom in a context of a structured education, I think there's no better example of that than Minerva. So it looks like you are trying to bring the unique aspects of education and learning back into the future, right? So how do you think that the educational and learning context will have radically changed in 10 years from now? I think if we look at any change that we've experienced in our lifetime, and we've gone through a substantial amount of change over the past hundred and some years, but certainly over the past um, uh, 30 or so since the introduction of the internet is in a largely broadly accessible way. The changes that are profound are ones that didn't just do what we did before the introduction of technology in a more efficient way. The changes are actually behavioral changes that are enabled in certain ways in which the lack of deployment of technology was, would be impossible. And that's, that's where the profound shifts occur. And so my perspective is that in 10 years, the impact of Minerva on higher education and what we'll be seeing the beginnings of I think that 10 years is not enough time to flip the global higher education model on its head, but it's certainly enough time where the leading innovators will kind of join us in this process of looking at education not as the same thing they've always done, but now with technology, but instead to say, wait a second, we can actually go to the roots of what we want to do and approach education in a radically different way. Simple example. Imagine a professor teaching a class, but rather than teaching it to a group of anonymous students in day one with varying understanding of the material that the professor expects them to have, and therefore having to repeat all of the prerequisites that they should have had before, in the beginning of, of the class, that professor would instead be able to effectively build upon and develop a shared intellectual language that they've already consumed. And that that professor would actually know the strengths and weaknesses of each student in every aspect of the intellectual language, such that when the, when the professor enables them to apply that in the context that he is teaching, that those students can be practicing the areas that they struggle with most, and that those that have already mastered one area can focus on other areas. 
that changes the nature of education, and it's only done so for the better. So you believe, you truly believe that in 10 years from now, we will really see a more personalized process of learning? I believe that in the institutions of higher education that care about their students, and this is a big qualifier, you will see the adoption of these new philosophies. Whereas I think what we're now exposing is, uh, is the beginning of the incentive structure of institutions of higher education and their leadership. Because a lot of institutions, in fact, every institution I know of, will say all the right things, yet are comfortable doing all the wrong things. And there are very few institutions that are motivated to do the hard work that is necessary to do what is right for their students because their incentive structure isn't tied to that. And so I think what you'll see 10 years from now is the bifurcation. Institutions that just pay lip service to education versus institutions that actually care about education. So coming back to uh, taking a deeper dive on uh, academic institutions, on established academic institutions, you know that um, world's uh, greatest academic institutions are somewhat like a synonym for stability, yes. right? And education is one of the most stable institutions in the world, right? Right. So what do you think that won't have changed at all in 10 years from now? I think there are a few things that, that won't change. I think first and foremost, if you look at the vast majority of educational institutions in the world 10 years from now, those that will still be around, and most of them will, though I do think there'll be some turmoil in the sector in this decade, I do think that most of them will basically be doing the same thing they're doing now. They may add marketing. They may uh, say, oh, look, look, we have technology over there in the corner, or look at this wonderful, innovative thing we do, but it, it'll actually not be substantive. So unfortunately, I think a decade is too short of a period of time for systematic change in, in, in higher education. I also think that there are going to be some sectors uh, what I, I like to refer to as the license raj, um, that are going to be exactly the same, right? It, if you want to be a practicing doctor, you must go to medical school. You, in, in the business world, you don't have to go to business school in order to practice business. And that means that business education is by definition just much more dynamic Right? Because it is open to market forces. Being a doctor isn't. And whether it's being a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, a veterinarian, etc., there are going to be entire professions who will continue to be trained exactly as they are trained today, simply because the license Raj won't force them to innovate. My hope is that even a in that sector, a few of the licensors, the governments, the professional accreditation academies, whatever the licensor is, will start to say, wait a second, look at all of the innovative things that are happening in other sectors. You have to do that. And so my hope is that in 10 years, some of these professions will start to succumb to reform. Well, let's say, Ben, that in 20 years from now, uh, your kids 
who will probably be 20-something, yeah. um, they are waking up on a Saturday morning or on a Sunday morning, and they are watching a documentary on Netflix or probably Apple TV, and it's a documentary about Minerva. So what would you like this documentary uh, to say about Minerva? What would the title of that documentary be? If I had to pick a title, if I think about our mission, right, nurturing critical wisdom for the sake of the world, I had to pick one word that is the most descriptive of what we do. The most important word is wisdom, but the most descriptive, I think, is critical. I think that if there is one word that I would like to have a title of a documentary about us, I would call it critical because Minerva was born out of taking a critical eye at what we believe are the most critical institutions in the world. And what I think would be hard to argue, right, the enterprise of education, the most critical thing for us as a society, global society, to get right. right? Because if we get education right, we get everything right. And I think as is quite evidenced by all the things that are not going well in the world, we're missing the boat on that critical aspect. And, and Ben, uh, you mentioned before that Minerva and, and you as a CEO, you have a unifying drive where people come together, right, at Minerva. And I have the, uh, the impression that when this unifying drive is so strong, sometimes you might have a hard time in changing your mind on something relevant, right? So I'm just curious to know about when was the last time that you changed your mind on something that was relevant to you or to Minerva? It's interesting because you're, you're exactly right. When, when you are so messianic, when you're driven by a mission, you see a truth and you are just compelled to spread the word about the truth, right? And so it is very hard to challenge and maintain an open and flexible mind as you encounter reality. It's, by the way, particularly challenging when your vision of you know, this ideal seems to be working. Right? When you're getting constantly, you know, repetitive, positive reinforcement, right? You see learning outcomes that no one has been able to see before. You see, you know, student outcomes that are best of breed, etc. You you can so easily feel like, oh, I, you have all the answers. That though winds up being in stark contrast to the thousands of elements that you've got to be aware of because that's how you iterate and change. And if if you were to look at, a, at a, an interview, a, a podcast that I would have done seven or eight years ago and I would have described Minerva, I'd describe it almost identically to the way that I describe it today. But if you look at the details of what make Minerva up today versus what I thought would make it up seven or eight years ago, those details are vastly different. I think from an overarching 
uh, perspective, if I were to think about one area which was really big in this journey in which I had to really radically change my perspective is, and this is a, 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 a hard thing for me to admit, but I think it's important to admit, is that it was my perspective on human beings. When you live in the world that we live in, if you're listening to this podcast, um, you are probably university educated or about to be. You are probably surrounded by a certain set of professional working class or upper, you know, middle class or upper class individuals. Those are who you know. And you may think that the world is those people. And it's easy for you to look up and say, oh, let, look at those elitists, the billionaires in the world. I'm not an elitist. I'm, you know, I'm a common person. But what you don't realize is that you're far from common. You are an elite, right? And the world is not comprised predominantly of people that are like you. More importantly, talent is not concentrated among the people that you know. It's broadly distributed. Now, when I started Minerva, I had, you know, a general inclination that that was the case. That's how we, we structured the institution. And my perspective was a typical American university charges $70,000 a year, yet more than half of the student body in the most selective universities, the Ivy League, Stanford, etc., more than half of them can afford to pay that $70,000. Universities will sometimes lie with statistics trying to say that they don't, but that's not true. 52 to 55% of those institutions are able to get students that can afford that kind of money. And I said, well, you know, we're going to charge 30. We're going to make Minerva so much more accessible. And because we're going to not be really elitist, you know, financially, and we're going to kind of fling the doors open. And because we're charging so much less, sure, you know, we're going to have a more socioeconomically diverse student body, but I still would imagine that half of the students would be able to afford $30,000. The reality is, is that the number of people who can easily afford to spend $30,000 a year for four years versus the number of people who can easily afford to spend $70,000 for four years is not that big of a delta. And what, what happened was as soon as we started operating Minerva, it turned out that nearly 80% of our students couldn't afford even $30,000. About 75% can't afford $20,000. And so it was a very harsh wake-up call that when you're in the business of education and you're trying to have global impact as opposed to local or regional or specific impact, that you have to think about where humanity is and where talent is in humanity. And it is not among the 
people that you know. It's not to say that there are not talented students among my friends' children. There are, but they're not there in any higher concentration than among communities that I've never interfaced before with in my life. And the ability to think about students not as people that are from a particular country or from a particular economic background or really not anything that is quote-unquote superficial, but to actually look at them as human beings first and foremost was a very easy thing for me to say that I do eight years ago, but it wasn't what I did then. And every year at Minerva makes me realize all of the biases and trappings that I have grown up in that I need to counter when I approach other people. Ben, we will love to, uh, to finish every uh, single uh, episode of this series of podcasts about uh, the future of educational learning um, by trying to create a compounding learning effect for this community of uh, insights. So I'm going to ask you two questions in that regard. Number one is that, why don't you give us a recommendation about a book or about any other reading that you think would be useful for our audience, for our community, to uh, keep on learning? I think if I had to recommend one book, this is one of the most important books in the Minerva Pantheon uh, that we we give our students, it would be uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, maybe a, a, a goodie, but it's been a few years since it's been published. Uh, and I find that not recommending the most recent books is, is better uh, uh, than not. But that's just a fantastic uh, framework to understand how the mind works and and. Uh, how to deal with the fact that you have a highly imperfect machine uh, sitting in your head. And so that, that would be my, my recommendation. Awesome. And there is a second question, which is, is there any hack, any hacks or habits that you would recommend for learning? Mm. I think the, the most important thing that we do at Minerva is this idea of transfer. It's this concept that you can apply particular methodologies in drastically different contexts. And so the thing that I would recommend is when you are going about your day-to-day life and you are doing something well, right, and you know you're very good at it, Try to understand what is the essence behind what made you good at that particular thing in your job, for example, and then force yourself to think about what is the correlation between that and something that I'm not particularly good at, right? So, for example, if you have a very successful uh, uh, relationship with your coworkers at work and you have a hard time with your spouse or coworker or, or, or not coworker, spouse or, 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 you know, significant other. Think about, well, what is it that is effective when I deal with my coworkers 
And how do I actually put that into effect in my relationships? Right? If, if you are designing a particular process in your uh, hobby, right? Um, you like to build something very complicated and you go through a certain process of doing that. Think about, well, do I think about constructing a legislation in the same way? When I support a political party or a position, do I go through what processes can I leverage from my hobby or construction of something to actually understanding a proposed solution for something that matters to society? And so the, the ability to actually element the underlying principles that you employ day to day and apply them elsewhere is really the core of what we do. It's easier said than done. That's why Minerva Education exists. But if you start having a little bit of that mentality, I think it helps. Ben, thank you very much. It's been an amazing conversation. And I can only wish that uh, Minerva and Esade, we uh, spread critical, critical wisdom throughout the world in the years to come. I look forward to that. Thank you. Thank you. If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do Better.